Hi, I'm Stephanie, and this is Real Housewives of Neopia. Together, we're going to re-explore some dark depths of pop culture, most of which you've willfully forgotten about. What a week! I ate an entire 50-pack of Halloween candy, and I haven't cried for five entire days. Jealous? Jealousy's a disease. Get well soon. For what it's worth, the Halloween candy consisted of Coffee Crisp, Kit Kat, Arrow, and Smarties. I let Aaron eat most of the Smarties because they're my least favorite out of the bunch, although they are in fact superior to M&M's. Even though I'm loving Vancouver in general, I'm pretty unsettled that they don't seem to have the Reese's Pumpkins anywhere, which for me, is a Halloween staple. And by extension, I'm assuming they also don't have the Reese's Easter eggs either. So I guess that's something I just need to come to terms with for my new life. Vancouver's lack of seasonally shaped Reese's is thankfully canceled out by their superior food courts and supermarket skincare, both of which are heavy on my mind currently. So the other day, we decided to sample this pretty low-key food court on a complete whim, and basically, I just can't quit her. Our initial trip, we tried three different places. There was Northern Chinese, Uyghur, and Korean. I've never had Uyghur food, and I'm also pretty ignorant about it in general, but per Wikipedia says, the Uyghurs are a Turkic-speaking minority ethnic group originating from and culturally affiliated with the general region of Central and East Asia. They are recognized as native to the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region in Northwest China. So from that place, we got lamb samsas, which are not to be confused with samosas. The format is kind of similar since it's like a little meat pie moment, but Samsas are baked, which I guess is the key difference. Long story short, they were really good and I'm really excited to try more food from that stand. From the Korean place, we just got Dukboki because they comfort me and I needed comfort in that moment because I have my period. That, to me, is like the most fucked up evil thing on earth, and I desperately want to go back to the three years where I straight up didn't have one. But that's irrelevant. So anyways, the northern Chinese burger spot was my star, by far. I've been thinking about it literally nonstop, and we've now had the cumin lamb burger several consecutive days. Cumin lamb is one of my favorite foods, like, period, of anything, and so is just good bread of any variety. So, together, they're unstoppable. If you remember the meme that was based off of Joker and Harley Quinn that was like, she was fearless and crazier than him. She was his queen, and God help anyone who dared to disrespect his queen. 
to me, that was about the cumin lamb burger and the sexy bread that they use, king and queen respectively. When that meme was actually relevant, I crowdsourced from my followers an edition that featured Dr. Phil and Robin McGraw, which I'll likely spend hours looking for when I'm done recording this. I can't say what the name of the restaurant is because I'm scared of Marcel from friskyrabbit.website, nightdater.com, and streetsofcash.com. So, yeah, I'm not going to tell you the name of it. You can DM me and I will, though. I don't have any updates on the Frisky Rabbit operation, but I do believe I will at some point. I don't even know if this is worth telling since I can't say the name. But recently, Aaron's taken to saying that restaurant's name in this specific cadence. Video game. Which is something that he's picked up because that's how I always choose to say the words video game simply because I think it's funny. He actually had never heard a Lana Del Rey song before I started doing that, which is perhaps his most attractive quality. But I digress. In a nutshell, I love her. Her being the food court, not Lana Del Rey. As I also mentioned, the supermarket and drugstore skincare situation here is quite uplifting. Most recently, actually right after we had that delicious sample at the food court, I picked up the Farmstay brand snail gel from the grocery store, and it's a gigantic tub. It's 300 milliliters for just $6.29 Canadian, so basically like a nickel in American dollars. I've been really enjoying it a lot for both face and body because I love things that contain snail mucin. But for me, it functions more as like an essence rather than a moisturizer. Brief detour, but this is my current very utilitarian nighttime routine. I double cleanse with the Versed Cleansing Balm and CeraVe Hydrating Cleanser. Twice weekly, I use the Dr. G Brightening Peel Gel that after washing my face and exfoliating, if it's an exfoliation day, I use a few drops of glycerin on wet skin, then the snail gel, then the CeraVe Daily Moisturizing Lotion with a few drops of organic cold-pressed rosehip oil, and then I seal it all in with Vaseline as my occlusive. Vaseline or any other occlusive really doesn't actually add any moisture or hydration into your skin, which by the way, hydration and moisture are two different things. But the occlusive will just seal the existing moisture in, which is especially relevant when you're using humectants like hyaluronic acid or glycerin. Also, even though I'm using the Verse Cleansing Balm, don't buy it. It's literally disgusting. I'm just trying to finish the container, but if you want a good cleansing balm, then try the vanilla Clean It Zero or the Biotherm one. The Versed one breaks down my makeup okay, but the emulsification leaves a lot to be desired, 
and it leaves behind a disgusting film that requires washcloth intervention, which pretty much defeats the purpose. I also would typically use retinol at night, but the Ordinary's 0.2 and 0.5% retinol has been sold out everywhere for literal months. So as a result, I'm greeted by Tan Mom in the mirror each and every morning. It's Tan Mom, bitch. Are you ready? It's Patricia, bitch. Friend of the pod, Bailey, actually alerted me that it's finally in stock on Desium's Canadian website. And I also discovered there's a Desium store in Vancouver. So I hope I can get my grubby, instant gratification loving hands on a bottle ASAP. I've been off retinol now since like May or something, and I desperately want her back in my life. But that's besides the point. It's just been such a morale boost to to see brands like Dr. Jart when I'm shopping for things like cereal or tampons. And for that, I am forever thankful, even without my Reese's Pumpkins. Now that this cumin lamb and snail gel soliloquy is reaching its end, I do quickly want to mention some other non-reality things I've been watching before we move on to the episode 11 recap. As of late, I've been extremely into the Real Stories YouTube channel. From what I gather, it's pretty much just uploads of really dated documentaries from the UK's Channel 4. For those of you like me who didn't know what that is, I think it's basically the UK equivalent to like a PBS, but I could be wrong. So there's three notable ones I watched, and two out of those three fully made me crave death, but that's that's what I tend to go for. So I watched The Virgin Daughters, Skinny Kids, and How to Start a Sex Cult. The Virgin Daughters is about the purity movement and corresponding purity balls, where girls as young as six years old pledge celibacy until marriage in this creepy father-daughter cult-like ceremony. It was wildly informative and wildly upsetting. I didn't even know that purity balls were real because at the start of quarantine, I watched this horror movie on Hulu called Purity, appropriately, that was about them. And I truly just thought it was like an invented horror concept. I didn't think that existed in reality, but it does. I believe it was filmed in 2008 or something. So I hope in the 12 years since that at least one of those girls has like learned that their body is their own and they have value beyond their virginity, which isn't even real to begin with. But who knows? Overall, I would recommend it, but you'll probably also crave death. So if that's not what you're into, then don't watch it. Skinny Kids was about children with body dysmorphia, which did not make me crave death, but it did make me very sad. I think the shock factor was dulled slightly because... 
Most of it, unfortunately, was a beat-for-beat retelling of my own childhood experience, so I kind of got it, but it was certainly a big fucking bummer. It was really impactful to see because I'm pretty divorced from seeing my child self, like, as me. I just see, I don't, well, I don't know how to explain it. But anyways, (laughs) I don't know how else to say that, so we're just going to dead it. The point is, seeing these little babies say such hateful things about their bodies was like a punch to the gut. Like, being on the outside, like, the outside looking in was really sad because I was just used to experiencing that myself, so it was hard to see my experiences more objectively because they're just kind of my experiences but seeing theirs was definitely really sad i also want to place most of the parents featured under citizens arrest so the last one how to start a sex cult nearly made me physically ill it's about this vile man from the uk who you can truly smell through the screen He's a dom who sources his subs on Second Life, and one of them is flying from Australia to come live with him as his slave. Notably, she's leaving her husband and children to do so. What unfolds is just truly nauseating. I did feel like my stomach turn at multiple points and just Very, very upsetting. The whole thing is one giant walking trigger warning. So I would advise you to proceed with that in mind if you plan to watch it. The entire Real Stories channel has thousands of uploads that run the gamut of all different kinds of content. I just happen to seek out things that make me feel appalled and depressed. So... Surely there's something for you, even if you don't like to dabble in the more extreme side of things as I do. Those viewing preferences are exactly why I choose to talk about Real Housewives of Vancouver every week. So let's talk about episode 11. Firstly, I want to mention that I had a dream about Reiko the other night. And the specifics are unclear, but basically we were just like platonically vibing and she was really delightful. I even remember in my dream thinking that I felt bad saying her scenes made me feel as though I took an indica pill on the pod and hoping that she wouldn't hear it. I woke up feeling endeared to her, but then I remembered she's been making some like global warming and COVID denying claims on the gram lately and that feeling subsided. Anyways, the episode opens at Stanley Park, which is a lovely park where I love to take walks and smoke marijuana. Ronnie, on the other hand, said she didn't even know it existed, which further adds to her weird rich person allure. Pretty sure Stanley Park is like a very known and famous park in Vancouver. So the fact she said she wasn't even aware of its existence. Classic Ronnie. 
She's asking Mary about the Jody truce that was established at the end of last episode. And she's downright shocked when Mary said it was simply just a means to an end and that she doesn't actually trust Jody. She further explains that she didn't want to derail Ronnie's event, and that's why she sort of acquiesced to the force truce. I think that's all pretty valid. Like, Mary's a much bigger person than I am for even doing that in the first place. And I find it kind of insane that Ronnie expects legitimate trust and forgiveness from Mary toward Jody. In her confessional, Ronnie exclaims, I'm tired of the drama. I'm tired of it. Which I personally don't believe to be true. My new best friend, Reiko, is off at the Renaissance Hotel planning her husband's birthday party. To honor his Indian heritage, she's doing a Bollywood party. As a side note, I discovered that her husband, Sonny, who now in the year 2020 is her ex-husband, allegedly is known to have some mob connections and allegedly has murdered someone. Allegedly. After running through all of the different components with her party planners, like flowers, food, Olympic-trained Bollywood dancers, and so much more, we learn that the grand total is around $80,000. She seems pretty chill about that figure and nonchalantly says that her husband can afford it, so it's NBD. As usual, Reiko's solo scene is over in the blink of an eye. Jody's waiting impatiently to meet for coffee with Christina. She continuously stresses how extremely busy she is, but that this meeting is very important. Simply put, she just wants to know what went down between Christina and Mia on that night. Iconically, Christina's an hour and a half late. As I've annoyingly expressed on this podcast before, I hate when people are late, but there's an exception to every rule. Jody asks Christina if she values time, and Christina just straight up says no, which I'm obsessed with. She's drilling Christina about what happens on that fateful night, and Christina's being pretty coy, but she spills the beans that Mia did in fact sleep over without any further elaboration. Jody says it's sad, and they were doing a horrendous act, which is not a paraphrase. I can't tell if the horrendous act is referencing sex or if it's a thinly veiled reference to drugs, since Mia, per the internet, allegedly dabbled during that time in her life. If it's the former, I'm truly obsessed with the comical level of homophobia. She does express relief that they finally got to the bottom of it, and Christina retorts in her confessional that that's not the only thing she got to the bottom of. I love Christina, but her sexual innuendos are quite redundant at this point. I have to give her the benefit of the doubt because she seems really savvy, so I'm wondering if she just threw it all to the wall to see what stuck and had the mindset of 
sort of giving the editors a lot to work with, except they just ended up using every single one. Not too dissimilar to how Stasi was on this season of Vanderpump Rules, where she only spoke about Game of Thrones and Ranch, except I don't think that Stasi is nearly as smart as Christina and was instead using that as a substitute for her personality. Apparently, people love that, but I'm not one of them. Mary's off in the stew, recording a song for the first time in years. Initially, she's having a pretty hard time with it, and her producer, who seems like a scumbag, I didn't even write down his name, but during internet research, my findings are that he is a scumbag. But he tells her, do it like that, but different. Very helpful. Once she's reminded of her son and tubular sclerosis awareness, which is what the song is about, she quickly pulls herself together and she channels the elusive chanteuse within. Now that I'm growing familiar with Canadian radio, I've really been hoping to hear a Mary Zilba track on like 104.3. Vancouver Queens know exactly what I mean. After that brief check-in with Jody's unrequited nemesis, we're back at her apartment. She's having Mia over to investigate the Christina of it all further. She's wearing a kimono, and she explains to us in her confessional that it's the kimono of truth, which she chose especially for this occasion. In an effort to force the truth out of Mia, she's making her chocolate souffle. I've never made souffle myself, but I was surprised to see that angrily shoving chocolate in the microwave is part of the process. You learn something new every day. This endeavor is ultimately fruitless because Mia just continues to lie to her mom. In fairness, she is 25 years old, so I don't blame her just this once. Jody quickly drops it after Mia opens a bottle of champagne and they start drinking, and Mia states in her confessional that Jody's easily distracted and she's getting old, which she says with a villainous cackle. They're both so villainous, but I find myself enjoying Jody's theatrics, whereas Mia is just extremely irritating. Based only on the show, because that's all I know of Jody. I don't know anything about her. So Jody, if you're listening, please don't kill me, because I'm kind of scared that you will. But again, based just on the show, she comes off as irredeemably cruel but she does have that it factor. Apparently, she didn't pass that down to Mia because there's just no charisma or spark or conflama to be found. We also later see a photo shoot for Jody's cookbook, which I don't think has even been mentioned since episode one. I wonder if it ever was published, and if it was, I wonder if it's still in print, because I really want to check it out. I want to know more about Jody's food philosophy. 
We're back with my melatonin queen, Reiko. She's taking a Bollywood dance class because she wants to do a full choreography routine for Sunny's party. She's struggling, which I also would be because I'm hopelessly uncoordinated. I'm just going to mash this together out of order with another scene of Reiko's because that's truly all there was. Reiko's in a dance class and having a hard time. Nothing more, nothing less. So fast forward, she's hosting a Mendy party at her home. She calls it a Mendy party, but Google says that Mendy parties are a wedding-specific tradition, so I'm unclear if she's misusing the term or not because neither she or I are Indian. Uh, feel free to educate me further if you have the answer, but I didn't want to misspeak about any traditions. Reiko's other friends are there, and Christina also shows up. On her way to the Mendy party, Christina stopped at that venue where Jody served Mary papers, and she was just apologizing further to the people who own the venue slash boutique for that grand display. All of Reiko's friends are happily talking shit about Jody and Mia, and in a nutshell, everyone hates them. Since they were both making fun of Mary's cheeks, the friends also bring that up and take the opportunity to talk about how beautiful Mary's cheeks are, which I thought was very cute and sweet. It also doesn't matter because 90% of Real Housewives have some level of filler and literally who cares, but I did look up a picture of Mary's family and they truly all have those cheeks. I was previously duped and hoodwinked and falsely claimed that she had filler, but she doesn't, at least in her cheeks, so I want to clear that up. Christina chooses to drop the bomb about Mia sleeping over abruptly during this because she states that she loves shock value. She and I definitely have that in common. The Bollywood party is finally here and everyone besides Jody and Mia are praising it super enthusiastically and sincerely. I do want to note that the samosas looked great and I wanted in on some of that action. Jody explains that she's been to many Bollywood parties because they were quite in 12 or 15 years ago. She's seriously such a pill, but her delivery makes her captivating to behold. Reiko looks amazing, by the way, which has nothing to do with anything, but is certainly worth noting. Despite the fact that this is... Reiko's party for her own husband, Jody refuses to acknowledge her. At a certain point, Ronnie breaks off from Mary to talk to Jody, which Mary obviously hates and freaks out about. While she's off kikiing to the side with Jody, Jody drops an incredible line, which is, I went to finishing school in Switzerland. I know how to behave. Love that for her. 
Mia's in the corner just feeling her oats in this really ugly black mini dress. It's kind of like a bubble dress and the skirt part is made of ostrich feathers. It's really ugly and it's against dress code because the dress code requires saris. Reiko's choreography number is quite the production. I think I mentioned before it even includes Olympic level Bollywood dancers. So everyone's pretty jazzed about it and thinks it's wonderful. Besides Jody, who simply just says, Reiko's party was fun, but I prefer the Four Seasons. That's not the only party this episode, because the ladies have a mysterious James Bond-themed society event shortly thereafter. To clarify, not the same night, just directly after in the sequence of events in the episode. Christina, Ronnie, and Mary all get ready together and just talk shit. They're reflecting on how Jody overcharged Reiko by about $2,500 at her store, and that instead of apologizing, she suggested they split the difference. I'm truly obsessed with the idea of stealing a close friend's $2,500, then acting like you're doing them a favor by offering to give them half. While getting ready, Ronnie is kind of sexualizing Mary's teenage son. She's having him zip her dress, which would be fine, but she's talking about her boobs nonstop in the process, which I hated a lot. The group plus Reiko ride to the event together with Jody and Mia, of course, coming separately, which has become a theme. During their journey to the party, Mary's trying to have a heart-to-heart with Ronnie about loyalty and why she doesn't trust Jody. Once they arrive, I have to say this party looks like my nightmare, but so do most parties. Ronnie is, again, possibly sexually harassing the paid models and actors who are working at the party and helping them play poker. Everyone's having a grand old time at the poker table until Jody and Mia roll up, at which point everyone gets up to leave. Jody has fallen out of favor with almost everyone except for Ronnie. Ronnie's completely annihilated and quite literally all over both Jody and Mia, just like sitting on their laps, laying on top of them, telling them how much she loves them. Mary's obviously very upset, which I believe she would be anyways, but to add insult to injury, they just had the conversation in the limo like minutes prior about loyalty, Jody, etc. Eventually, they all take off and... Ronnie's so wasted that she's truly just writhing around in the limo and like thrashing around her body, kicking and unable to sit up. It's very dark, but the juxtaposition of Mary trying to talk to her further about loyalty at this juncture did in fact crack me the fuck up. So that's where we leave our West Coast sirens this week. 
I'll be back before you know it to pick things up where we've left off. As always, I just want to thank everyone for listening and interacting with me on Instagram and just overall exhibiting legendary behavior. If you'd like, there is a link at the bottom of every episode description that would allow you to support this podcast for as low as 99 cents monthly, but of course, there is no obligation. Although full disclosure, I also now include my cash app if you want to tip me, but simply listening and engaging with my content is more than enough to make me happy. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, I will humbly request that you rate and review if you feel so inclined. Besides that, you can find me on IG at Botox Groupon, B-O-T-O-X-G-R-O-U-P-O-N, and the pod at Real Housewives of Neopia. I will see you soon. Have a gorgeous week. Goodbye.